If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 15. I want to continue this series, but as I said, uh, as we look at this passage, we're going to share just a, a few thoughts, some recollections of the trip, and I'm sure there'll be many more in the coming weeks. But before we do anything else, let me pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the, the true bread, the living bread. Thank you that you feed us, your people, with your word. And so we come, Lord, not just for, for information, not to hear another sermon, but we come to be fed by you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us this morning listening ears to hear what it is that you're saying to each and every one of us. Thank you that your word has great power as it is being worked out in our hearts and lives. Lord, open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to know you. That's our desire, that you would be glorified in us and through us, shining as lights in an ever-darkening world. For the glory of your name, King Jesus. Have your way this morning. Everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Let's read together and then we'll launch into things this morning. Romans 15 verse 14 is the portion of scripture for today. Paul speaking, he says this, I myself am satisfied about you being the Roman church, the believers that he's, he's writing to. My brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it, has written, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Now there's a, uh, a few places on this planet that are my least favorite. And I've mentioned previously the dentist chair. I won't ask for a show of, of hands. How many people love going to the dentist? And I apologize if there are any dentists in our midst. God bless you in your godly calling. I have this phobia of the dentist chair. But another one that's uh, it's probably not quite in the same category, but it's still up there, is the examination room. Any kind of exam. Who loves exams? Any people thrive? One person. It's okay. It's all right. I can pray for you later. Nobody else. Nobody else loves exams. It's just something about me that's not wired for an examination. And I feel a little bit like I don't know if there's any fans of Mr. Bean. Any Mr. Bean? You know, I've, I've tried to get my, my younger kids, my teenage kids in particular, onto Mr. Bean. And we've sat through a few episodes and all I ever get is, Dad, this is, this is just dumb. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is classic British comedy. Mr. Bean. I mean, TikTok videos and YouTube shorts and... But there's this Mr. Bean scene, if you've, if you've seen the, the little short that he has when he goes into the examination room. 
And he sits there and he's clearly been preparing. And if you're anything like me, there's just something about that room. doesn't matter how much preparation you've done, I'm not a rote learner. I'm more of a free thinker outside. I'm just, just not good with, you know, trying to cram it all in and remember it. And the stress and the pressure of the examination room brings all kinds of things up. So Mr. Bean's sitting there and he pulls out the paper and there's clearly something different about this question that he hasn't prepared for. And so he's stressed and the whole episode is about him trying to copy off his neighbour in true classic Mr Bean style. And then it's about five minutes before the end of the exam and all of a sudden he checks in the, in the pack where he got the, the examination question and he actually finds that there's two or three others. And so he grabs it and he's like, oh, I actually know the answer. And then madly he spends the last couple of minutes trying to pen down as much as he can before the bell goes and the examination time is up. But there's something about that examination room, isn't there? And the, the illustration I bring to you for this reason, what, what I love as we've read through this particular book, as we've searched the, the depths and the heights and the intricacies of Paul's proclamation of the, the gospel, these unrivaled parallels about the, the mysteries and the majesty and the wonder of Christ, and who he is and what he's done for us. You know, it's inexhaustibly rich and deep. It is. Forever, for eternity, we will stand and live in wonder, pondering the greatness of who Christ is and what he has done for us. But at the same time, not only is it inexhaustibly rich and deep, it's profoundly simple. It's not an examination room where we've kind of got to, to guess and and I mean, there, there, there will be a day where we stand and give account of our lives before the Lord. But it's incredibly simple. The heart of the gospel. Inexhaustibly rich and deep and yet profoundly simple. This is one of those moments as Paul is kind of wrapping up this letter that he's written that he, he reminds us of that simplicity. He kind of brings all of these these different realities, the tensions, the exploration of theology, and he brings us back to that heart of simplicity, the heart of the matter. And he talks not only about his reason for writing, but the motivation of his ministry. He talks about some of the things that he's seen Christ accomplish before him. And at initial read, it might seem like he is boasting a little. He's talking about, well, I've proclaimed the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to the, the ends of the earth. And of course, if, if you know anything about your early church history, and last year we studied, spent the entire year looking at the book of Acts, we saw this incredible unfolding of the gospel as it goes forth, as the earliest disciples proclaim the gospel through the power of the Spirit. And of course, Paul comes in a little bit later in the scene. He has these three missionary journeys. Eventually, he will travel to Rome. He's talked in this book about his desire to go there. But the impact is phenomenal. And I, I think we may have had some charts. I love a good chart as we did the, the ACT series. Certainly, I had some. I remember one sermon ready to go. That Look at the spread of the early church from zero Christians through that first century. And Paul was a large part of that to see the incredible impact of the gospel as it took root in the known world as those early earliest disciples with just the, the simple message of the gospel and the power of the spirit literally as it says in the book of Acts here come the people that turned the world upside down and they did or as we might say turned the world the right side up 
for the glory of God with the truth of the gospel. It's, it's hard to, to overinflate or overestimate the impact that Paul had. His impact was immense. And so he's taking a moment to kind of reflect on some of that. And the question for us then, as, as he does that, as he's writing to the Romans, as he's explaining a little bit about not, not necessarily his purpose, because he made it clear from the beginning, this is my purpose, is to preach the gospel. There's no other message that has the power to save. But as he explains a little about his motivation, this is what drives him. This is his focus. This is what keeps him going. He'll, he'll finish in 15. We'll look at this in a moment. And he'll say, for this reason, I continue to proclaim the gospel. The question for us is, well, what was it that made him tick? What was it that drove him? What was his strategy? What was the, we're in a world, aren't we? We all want the, the two-step or the five-step or the, the ten-step. What, what's, what's the secret, Paul? What is the secret to this incredible impact that you're sharing? What's, what are you trying to focus us on in the midst of this proclamation of what God has accomplished through you? There's only two points here. It's two-point sermon. Someone say Amen. Praise the Lord for 2.7. Two reflections, two realities that take us to the, the heart of why Paul did what he did. What, what is it, what is it, what's he discovered? What can we glean and learn from this? Verse 18, it's point one. I love this. In the midst of all of that, he says, this is his heart, it's Paul speaking. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished. I will not venture, I will not step forward, I will not move a muscle. I will not do anything other than with that desire to speak simply and purely and completely, not about what I've done, but about Jesus and about what he has accomplished. See, he's saying this. This, this is what I've discovered. This is, this is the substance. This is what works. It's not the style of ministry. It's not the songs you sing. It's not the, the particular theological emphases. Nothing wrong with any of those in and of themselves. It's not the 10-step process. He says, this is the heart. This is the substance. It's him. It's Jesus. It's who he is and it's what he has done in me and through me. It's one consuming passion. I will not venture to speak of anything. If anyone had the right to speak of a few things, he could have talked about his incredible miracles. Those moments where the handkerchiefs were taken and this raising dead people. Could have talked about revivals. Could have talked about church planting, missional discipleship. If anyone had the authority to talk about any and all of those. And indeed, he does touch on many of those aspects. And we've, we've read in the book of Romans, this depth and this richness. But at the heart and the core, this is what he brings us back to. Ultimately, Paul is saying it's all about this one thing. It's all about who he is, and it's all about what he has done in me and through me. I, I won't venture to speak of it. I'm always coming back. 
That's the heart. That is the substance. It's him. It's only Jesus. It's his blood that saved me. It's his beauty that's drawn nations to himself. It's his grace that has sustained me through the, the deep and dark nights of the soul. It's his power that's set free the captives. That's turned the world the right way up for the glory of God. His work, his plan, his purpose, his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his blood, his cross, his love, his saving power. That's what, that's what it is. It's where, where it lands. And, you know, the, the reason that that speaks to me, Adam and I, as I mentioned, we have uh, spent the last 10 days, had a great time. We survived America or America survived us. I don't know which way it is. Enjoying some American cuisine and I think I've got the evidence to, uh, to prove. Uh, but we, we visited a couple of different spots just to kind of give you the, the brief summary. We went down to Florida to, uh, to what's increasingly becoming the the Bible Belt, the Bible Hub of America. There's Christians on every corner, and it just—it's—it's a wonderful, um, wonderful field. Not just the beaches and the weather. And we did a pastors and leaders conference there. Great mob called Jesus Image, just really pursuing Christ. As big conference, couple thousand people at a guess, I'd say. It's a wonderful opportunity for fellowship and just to receive. It's something in ministry that you get very little of. Because if you like, you're, you're on duty. And so just having that space where you can come along and counter the Lord, just some amazing moments in the Lord's presence in worship, some great, um, great instruction and encouragement. So we, we did that. Then we went up to New York City, you know, the, the height of uh, capitalism and materialism. And I, I'm not a big city fan. Adam loved New York City, and as many people who do, the weather was atrocious, although after we left, it got even worse, and we arrived home yesterday only to see that they had a state of emergency in New York City. There was torrential flooding everywhere, and I'm not sure there's some prophetic correlation there. <laughs> um, you can read into that what you would, but we um, checked out a great city, ch- uh, great church called uh, Church of the City, doing some phenomenal stuff in the midst of New York City. Very different environment, very secular. We managed while we were there as well to get along to uh, Redeemer, Tim Keller's, the the work that he started, Tim Keller being a a great hero in the faith for me. So obviously he went went home to be with the Lord. Um, But just to be a part of, you know, sense their heart and do some services there. And then we came back through Texas, good old Texas. I, uh, I nearly thought about buying some, you know, Texas boots and cowboy hat and maybe next trip. But we went to a great work there, um, Upper Room. Uh, really, they've really invested in just kind of doing a, it's not quite 24-hour, but a prayer and worship kind of model, seven days a week, really seeking the Lord, pressing in there. And I'll share a couple of, couple of stories there a little bit later on. So that was kind of the brief, the brief trip, the, the nuts and bolts. And I think I, I went with that sense of I'm, I'm going there to be refreshed and equipped, but Lord, I'm, I'm going there with a, with a sense of vision. I want, I want to hear your, hear your heartbeat. I, I want to really understand what it is that you're doing across the... Like, what, 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 what is it? What do we need to grab above all other things? And I think the one thing that was impressed upon my heart, and all these different environments, very different environments, very different cities... It, it was amazing to me how some very similar emphases came through. And one of them was just the priority and the importance of seeking Him. 
above all other things. What is it that causes the gospel to thrive, a church to thrive? What, what is it that sustains in the midst of the Bible Belt or the midst of uh, the largest city in the West, perhaps, or one of them, the, you know, the epicenter of commercialization? What, what is it that, as early in this year, we went to, to the Roman catacombs in the midst of a, a godless... What, what, what is the essence? What is it? And I think so often we look for structure, don't we? Or if you're anything like me, we look for the, we look for the process. We look for the, the parameters. And not to say there's anything necessarily wrong with the structure, but what really counts is the substance. It's the foundation. And if there is any other foundation other than Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. But if Jesus is the foundation, if he's the substance, if he is the source, then anything you build upon that foundation in any environment is ultimately going to thrive for his glory. So I, I went in some ways looking for some fresh structures and came back just profoundly encouraged and stirred in my personal pursuit of Jesus. What do we need personally? What do we need as a church? If we're truly to accomplish that which we've called us to. And I believe one of the keys, the first key here, as Paul said, it's to have this as our mission, as our mantra. May we not venture to speak of anything else except what he has done. Christ crucified. May he be the pursuit. May he be the foundation. May he be the source and the substance of who we are and what we do. And I feel like that's important for us to remember because we do live in a time and an age where we're looking for something that works. There's a guy by the name of Mike Horton, and I thank my good friend Gary for getting me onto uh, his wonderful podcast, uh, podcast, Whitehorse Inn. He's a, a scholar, an author. And he says this. He, he talks about, in his own words, he talks about the gospel of pragmatism. And he writes this, he says, Salvation is no longer God's surprising and gracious work through Christ for sinners. There's no declaration of the glory of God at work in the world. The wonder, his undeserved grace offered to sinners. The foundation of his faithful promise that endures through and encompasses all human experience. Keeping us and carrying us towards his ultimate goal. It's instead become a predictable process of self-transformation by following certain steps Procedures, formulas, and techniques. We push the button and the right soda pops out, ultimately resulting in a God who is not worshipped, he's used. You see, our faith so, uh, so quickly becomes, well, how can I achieve results and outcomes? How can I have a better marriage? How can I have less stress? How can I be more successful? How can we grow our churches? And again, not all of those questions are necessarily bad. They're just often coming from the wrong place. Tim Keller, he's got this quote. He says, religion finds God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Religion finds God useful. Christians find God beautiful. So the problem is so often that Jesus just becomes the means to the end. 
We want Jesus, but only so we can have this or that. So we can be more effective, so we can be more successful. It's religion. We're using Jesus for something. Whereas Paul is calling the Romans and us back to that place where Christ is not someone we find useful. He's someone we find beautiful. He is the means and the end of our faith. He is the desire that we spend everything and anything in pursuit of. To know Him and to make Him known until the whole earth is filled with the glory of the knowledge of Him. To lift Him up. That the world would see the reality of the resurrected Christ. So I think so often we've, we've lost this heart of the beauty and the majesty of Christ. Dane Orland, he, he has this quote. He says, we've developed a domesticated view that for all of its doc- doctrine, or of its doctrinal view, has downsized the glory of Christ in our hearts. He asks this question, he says, have you reduced the Lord Jesus to a safe, contain- containable, predictable saviour who pitches in and helps your otherwise smoothly running existence? Have you treated what is spiritually nuclear as a double-A battery? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? When was the last time we fell to our knees, overcome with awe, trembling before the one who in a moment silences the raging of the nations? Who with one word he causes a dead man to come forth from a tomb. Whose voice the wind and waves obey. Have we reduced this vision of the majesty and the might of Christ. Just down to something that that works. Something that's a bit more comfortable and containable. Something that's there but it's not everything. God's calling us back to that part. That place. Whereas we look at our lives, as we look at our journey, as we look at what motivates and drives us, we join with the Apostle Paul and we say, I, I, I will not venture. There's, there's nothing else that drives me, that could ever drive me, that could ever compel me, other than and outside of who he is. The beauty, the majesty, the might, and the wonder of Jesus. That's point number one, encouragement number one for me, coming back to that place. Point number two, I love this. He doesn't, he doesn't camp simply there and saying, well, I, I will boast in no one except Christ. He says in verse 17, but in Christ, then I have reason to be proud. Some translations say to boast. I do and I, and I will boast, not in myself, but in him. As he goes on in verse 19 to say, because this is what the Lord has done by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God from Jerusalem all the way around the world, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. In fact, he goes on, and this is why I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. This is what drives me. So we could phrase it like this. The first portion we've said is that without Christ, we have nothing. I I am nothing. I won't venture to speak anything aside from who he is and what he is. There is no other means of boasting. But with him 
And through him, I will boast. And I have every reason, he says, to have hope, to believe. Because this is what I've seen. I've seen God move. I've seen him do incredible things. I've seen the gospel preached and proclaimed and multitudes and nations come to faith in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could be a little more excited. It could be a moment for an amen. Lord, stir our hearts. He says, this is what keeps me going. I keep preaching. This is my ambition because the gospel makes a difference. The power of the proclamation of Christ has the power and still today has the power to save and to rescue and redeem. He says he's saying this, Paul is saying this not as some sort of just a theological notion. Here's a good piece of theology. Ponder this, just kind of tuck it away, think it through. He's, He's talking about this as an experiential reality. He's saying, I've encountered the saving power of Christ. It's just the same Jesus who turned up and he knocked me off my horse, changed the direction of my life. Here I am. He calls himself, I was the chief of sinners. I was nothing. I was a persecutor of those who called upon the name of Christ. And yet look what he's done with me. A sinful man. Look at the transformation. This is all about him. But I will boast in what he's done in me and through him because his power changes lives. I've seen it change my life. I've seen it change entire regions. Transformation. This, this, this is powerful. This has the power to make a difference. So here's my second encouragement. You see, I, I feel that, particularly in the church of the West, and you sensed it certainly in the US in some places more than others, New York City being one, perhaps more than a Florida where the church seems to be thriving and there is a lot of stuff happening. But I feel overall the expectation of what God can do is at record lows. There's discouragement, there's disappointment, there's pessimism. There's almost a defeatist attitude of, well, we're just headed down this path. You know, the country, the nations of the world, they're just going to hell in a handbasket, so let's just stand by and let it go. Pat them on the way. And I feel like there's a stirring to grab a hold of not only the reality of focusing on Christ and pursuing Him above all other things, but allowing there to be a stirring of faith in our hearts for what he is not only able, but wanting to do in our lives, in our church, Vision Church, in our city, in our nation. If God can move in the midst of a Roman Empire, if he can move in the midst of New York City, if he can move in the midst of, name whatever moment you want throughout human history, then he is willing and he is able to move. He is. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's what Paul is saying. This is what's stirring my heart. He's the pursuit. There's nothing that I want to do more than exalt his name, than proclaim the greatness of who he is. And this is why I continue to preach the gospel, because I've seen him do incredible things. And I know that his word never returns void, and that he has a purpose and a plan for me 
and for wherever he will call me to go and plant me in this season. Now, I was, I was genuinely really encouraged just to hear what God is doing in, in different places. And let me just share a couple of testimonies, and then I want to kind of wrap it up. Um, in Florida, I mentioned, in some ways, it's an easy environment. In other ways, you know, when there's churches everywhere, that has its own challenges in terms of how you go about preaching and proclaiming the gospel. But uh, New York City, as I said, a great, a great heart. And a great sense of God really bringing renewal in the midst of that urban, secular environment. I think the testimonies that, that really stood out to me was when we were at Upper Room and they're doing a lot through Generation Z. In fact, they just got off this big Generation Z for Jesus, they called it. I love that. Gen Z for Jesus conference. Saw uh, hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds it was, but hundreds of Gen Z baptized. And not only were they baptized, but they were... Um, sharing their testimonies, radical testimonies of what God had done, of what he had, had um, set them free of. And so we didn't witness the baptism, but as we were there, we had a few days there, we were in the prayer room every day, and a lot of these young Gen Zs were leading worship, and they're sharing testimonies, sharing about how, how Jesus, he, he set me free from sexual addiction. Other girls, like I was gender confused, and God delivered me, he set me free. Another girl, incredible testimony, this, this one girl, she didn't share it herself, but um, Michael Miller, the pastor of Upper Room, was sharing the story about a young girl who'd come, and she was just mentally oppressed and tormented. She decided to take her own life. And so, in fact, she'd written a suicide note, she'd left it at home, and she put some cut flowers in a vase next to this note with the intention of, um, I'm going to come back later today and... The notes there, the flowers will be with it, with it and it's kind of a, a symbol that that's, that's my life. There's no hope, there's no purpose. Anyway, long story, uh, series of events. Someone grabbed her and said, you've got to come to church. So she goes to church, she meets Jesus. She gets radically saved, born again. She goes home that night, she says, well, I don't need this letter. She tears it up and as she looks, these flowers were blooming even more than when she left them. And it was just this picture for her, this encouragement of the power of Jesus. And so we were there in this room. I don't know whether Adam will share some stories later, but you know, he obviously works with the young people. He was so encouraged seeing hundreds of these younger people. I mean, they are they're passionate. Like I felt in this particular session, it's the daytime sessions where a lot of the younger people come along. I felt old in the room, but praise God, I don't mind that. Like there was younger people and the enthusiasm and these people were dancing around. I mean, there's tambourines, there was some shofars, there's flag. It just was like, it's like a Holy Spirit party. I'm like, this is incredible, all from these young people just radically encountering the Lord Jesus. See, there is this expectation that I believe God wants to stir in our hearts about what He is wanting to do. What's, what's on His heart for us? If He does it there, if He's done it there, then he can do it here. He can do it in our midst. He can do it in our lives. We have this hope, this great hope. I know Catherine preached on that last Sunday. We have this, the God of all hope. We, we carry the message of hope. The hope for the, hurt, the, the hopeless, the hurting, the broken, the addict, and everybody. We're all just as in need of the message of the gospel. What an opportunity we have to step out 
in faith to see God do incredible things. Can we get, who's coming up, worship team, someone? He's still awake and alive and, all right, well done. See how you go tonight, <laughs> this afternoon. Now, I, I want to I pray for us, but I want to encourage us in those two particular areas. I believe that you go particularly as pastors of the church and it's not, it's not just something that is for us. It's not just an encouragement for the pastors. It was that. It was an opportunity to receive. But I believe there's things that God does in us for the church. Does that make sense? And I'm sure there'll be many others, but particularly for me, there was those two realities. Number one is this, this recalibration of this personal pursuit of Jesus. That we'd move from this place of him being something, him being a means to an end, that we would somehow capture and be captivated afresh by his beauty in such a radical way that everything within us is drawn to pursue him. The woman with the, the alabaster jar. He's worthy of it all. He's worth it. That's the pursuit and the passion of our lives. And the second thing, as, as Paul talks about, this, this is my ambition because I've seen God do incredible things. But it's a reawakening, a reignition of faith to believe God and what He's wanting to do in us and through us now. So I think for most, most of us, it's a bit of a disconnect. If I said to, to us here this morning, if I said, you know, do you believe that God could do something? Do you believe that we could see revival, a great awakening? Do you see that we could, most of us, I hope, would be like, yeah, we, we could do that. He could do that. But then if I asked a similar but slightly different question, I said, how many of us actually have faith? to believe that not only he could do it, but God actually wants. He is desiring. And so it's my prayer this morning that there would be a reignition of faith. Not that God could faith, but of what God wants to do. What he is desiring to do. That we might boast in the mighty works, Vision Church, of all God has done in us. Let's press in to see his kingdom come. Amen. I want you just to turn your attention to the Lord. I'm just going to give him space. I want to pray for us as an opportunity this morning, as always, to receive ministry. Our prayer team will be here. I think one of the things as well for me in just going away and having space is just the importance of being prayed for just coming to receive and, and the power in the laying on of hands. Paul talks about it a lot. So there's an opportunity this morning. I'd love to pray for anybody in those regards or in any regards. Just pray a blessing upon people that whatever we've received of the Lord in the last 10 days, that there'd be just an impartation of fresh faith, of wonder. As Paul plays for the praise for the, the Church of Ephesians says that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would open up the eyes of our heart to see 
the wonder and the majesty and the might of King Jesus. So I pray for all of us here, but there's, there's an opportunity, an invitation just to come to receive prayer this morning, to receive the laying on of hands. So Holy Spirit, we just give you space this morning. So we've prayed before, Lord, just come, open up the eyes of our heart to see you. You are our desire and our delight. To see you more clearly, we might love you more deeply, that we might be so captivated as people and as a people that, Lord, nothing would stand in the way for us pursuing you and making much of you, just pouring out our lives as an offering, of thinking of the voices around, the expectation, how it looks, how it sounds, but caught up in that pursuit. Father, I want to pray particularly this morning for anybody here today and they would say honestly before you that the, the fire of love in their hearts has grown dim. Could be because of any reason. Perhaps religion's crept in and the glory of, of who you are, the wonder that brings us to our knees to fall in awe and wonder and majesty become a list of requirements has become a means to an end it's become anything other than finding you irresistibly beautiful majestically wonderful and worthy of every breath that we breathe Father I pray this morning for anybody who who does not yet know you. As we spend this time in your holy presence, would you open their eyes? Would you awaken their hunger to know the truth of who you are? Father, the, the second group of people that I want to pray for is those, Lord, who, who maybe it's not that, that passion and that pursuit of you, but it certainly is that, that burning of faith in our hearts. That, Lord, perhaps we've given in to discouragement, Disappointment, perhaps the the voice of the enemy has just distracted us and we realize we've gotten off course. Lord, I pray for fresh faith, for radical faith to be birthed again in the hearts of your people. People who take you at your word, a people who press in fresh 
giftings and awakening of intercession, Lord, for people who've prayed prayers and never seen the fullness. Lord, may we, may we know what it is to press in with persevering prayer. For loved ones we've prayed for, for, for dreams, for words. Lord, I pray that this would be a morning and a time where your people dream again. Fresh dreams of who you are and of what you desire to do in us through us. Awaken our hearts afresh. Fresh love for you and a fresh faith to get out of the boat. Lord, if it's you, nothing's going to stop me. I'm jumping out of the boat. Stepping out into new things today. Can we just stand together? Can we do that? Just activate in that way. We're just going to, Adam's going to lead us in a bit of worship as we finish. Just going to pray a prayer of blessing upon you and then just open up the altar. So Father, I bless each and every one of us this morning to know you, to know the depth of your love for us, to know the, the depth of the riches of grace and mercy and majesty that we see in you. And I pray this week that we would be an awakened people, awakened with fresh love and passion to pursue you, awakened with a fresh desire to step out. Let fresh faith arise in the hearts of your people in this church. May we be known as a people. May that be our desire to not take a step other than boasting in the wonder of who you are. But may we boast mightily and joyfully in the God who's done great things in our midst and through us, we pray. The glory of your name.